Today's reading is from 1 Samuel, chapter 16. It's on page 287 of your Bibles. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. But Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears about it, he will kill me. The Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what to do. You are to anoint for me the one I indicate. Samuel did what the Lord said. When he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled when they met him. They asked, Do you come in peace? Samuel replied, Yes, in peace. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, The Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then made Shammah pass by. But Samuel said, Nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. But Samuel said to him, The Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, Are these all the sons you have? There is still the youngest, Jesse answered. He is tending the sheep. Samuel said, Send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent for him and had him brought in. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, Rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. Samuel then went to Ramah. Now the spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord tormented him. Saul's attendant said to him, See, an evil spirit from God is tormenting you. Let our Lord command his servants here to search for someone who can play the liar. He will play when the evil spirit from God comes on you, and you will feel better. So Saul said to his attendants, Find someone who plays well and bring him to me. One of the servants answered, I have seen a son of Jesse of Bethlehem who knows how to play the lyre. He is a brave man and a warrior. He speaks well and is, with, is a fine-looking man, and the Lord is with him. Then Saul sent messages to Jesse and said, Send me your son David, who is with the sheep. So Jesse took a donkey loaded with bread, a skin of wine, and a young goat, and sent them, sent them with his son David to Saul. <clears throat> David came to Saul and entered his service. Saul liked him very much, and David became one of his armor bearers. Then Saul, then Saul sent word to Jesse, saying, Allow David to remain in my service, for I am pleased with him. Whenever the Spirit from God came on Saul, David would take up his lyre and play. 
Then relief would come to Saul. He would feel better and the evil spirit would leave him. Thank you, Natalie. Uh, we're going to be looking at that in a moment, but before we do that, uh, the children are going to leave for their, different, for their little group over there. Uh, so, Natalie, you read brilliantly. Uh, we're going to, having prayed, uh, now we're going to look at uh, this little part of the Bible, 1 Samuel chapter 16. And as we come into it, let's ask the question, why does God give people choices? I mean, it would be easy if it was just one path, and the fewer decisions you have to make, the less chance you have of getting it wrong. See, choices, when God gives you choices, it just makes life confusing. I prefer it these days. If someone, if they're offering you a cup of tea, bring you the cup of tea and give it to you to drink. I hate it when they open up the cupboard and they say, here's the choice. You can have peppermint tea, you can have lime tea, you can have any other kind of non-tea tea. And it just uh, makes life very difficult because you then got to sit and think. Worse, when you go into these restaurants and the menus. Uh, written in French or something like that. You can't even understand the choices, but there's so many you've got to make one of them. It's just hard when there are choices. And this chapter in the Bible seems to be God setting up confusion because his people have already got a king. Okay, Uh, God's rejected him from being the king. So if you look at chapter 14, uh, sorry, chapter 15, verse... uh, 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 23, just on the the, the facing page, uh, at the end of verse 23 says, uh, this is Samuel talking to the the guy uh, called Saul, because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. But this man Saul, who is the king, is still there. Actually, he's growing in power. So instead of God getting him out of the way, he chooses another person to be king at the same time. Uh, Why would he want to do a thing like that? Well, let's look and find out. Just two things for us to learn today. And they're easy to remember. We'll first learn about David, and then we'll learn about Saul. That's nice and easy, isn't it? Let's first start and learn about David. Now, in chapter 16, verse 1, it says he is the son of uh, Jesse, and he lives in Bethlehem, and God has chosen him to be king, in verse 1. But again, it's not to fill a power vacuum, because the previous king, Saul, is losing it, Actually, the opposite is true. This guy is gathering power. So if you were here last week, you know that uh, he wanted the prophet Samuel to come with him to give him street cred in front of everyone. And so therefore, he wanted Samuel, needed Samuel, to give him that little bit of extra importance. But now, now that's not necessary anymore. He can dispense with Samuel altogether. In fact, you look at verse 2, and Samuel is scared that he will kill Samuel if Samuel gets in the way of Saul being the king. He is now powerful enough to dispense with Samuel's services altogether. 
So there's this cover story that they're going to have a sacrifice and that puts Samuel with Jesse's sons and he's there to find the king and when you get to verse 6 it looks like a no-brainer. Here's the obvious guy. Look at uh, uh, chapter 16 verse 6. When they arrived, uh, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But verse 17 is one of those headline uh, moments in the Bible that teaches a giant lesson, and it says, Don't consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Now, if you've been here last couple of weeks, you'll be ready for a lesson like this by now, because you'd have seen that the king, the outgoing one, King Saul, was himself. If you look at chapter 10, verses 23 and 24, you see he was a strapping lad. Okay? So chapter 10, verses 23 and 24 says... They ran, they brought him out as he stood among the people. He was a head taller than any of the others. And Samuel said to the people, Do you see the man the Lord has chosen? There is no one like him among all the people. This guy saw, looked impressive. We know he was a dead loss. So now God stops Samuel in his tracks. Don't trust your eyes. What you see, you won't get. So then we go down the list, don't we, of the different sons. And the chosen one isn't there. He's got to be brought in from the fields. And when the chosen one comes in from the fields and he walks in through the door, what do you look at? Well, just a boy. Good-looking guy. But he won't see someone ready to be a king. But God sees, because he looks at the heart so you might think, oh, okay, I get the big lesson. Uh, don't uh, judge by what you can see with your eyes. Judge by the heart. Well, that's not going to happen because you can't see the heart and Samuel can't see the heart. What Samuel's got to do is listen to God. Tell him about David's heart. And then Samuel anoints David, literally messiahed David in verse 13. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him. Messiah means the anointed one in the presence of his brothers. And what happened next was really interesting because the spirit of the Lord comes on him from that day onwards. Now that's really interesting because until then the spirit comes to somebody just for one specific moment of time to help them to do one specific thing. So remember how that happened with Saul, if you were here in chapter 10, verse 11. Again, just uh, have a look. I'm sorry, chapter 11. Um, and uh, uh, at verse 6. Remember, nasty Nahash came to attack God's people. And uh, Saul hears about it. And in chapter 11, verse 6, when Saul heard their words, the Spirit of God came powerfully upon him and he 
eventually beat Nasty Nahash and won that war. But with David, it wasn't a one-off. It was from that day onwards, the Spirit of the Lord powerfully came on David for the rest of his life. So here is a Messiah who is full of God's Spirit from the very first day right to the end. And what that will lead to is not seeing anything different, but it will lead to a life that is very different. So look at what David's life will look like just down to verse 18. I've seen the son of Jesse of Bethlehem who knows how to play the lyre. He's a brave man and a warrior. He speaks well, is a fine-looking man, and the Lord is with him. You see, the Spirit is with him, and therefore the Lord is with him. And so therefore uh, you see uh, uh, David, a wonderful life, not just looks. And so therefore you have in these verses 14 to um, uh, 23, a contrast between David, who is a man full of God's spirit, and Saul, who is a man filled with an evil spirit. And that's what those verses are there to show us in contrast, these two guys, one next to the other. Get it? Okay. The thing is, verse 14 is not the very next thing that happened after verse 13, because verse 14 kind of happens, we're really at the end of chapter 17. It's only after David beats Goliath, the giant, in chapter 17, that you can say that he is brave and courageous. In fact, in chapter 16, Saul says, go and get David, uh, in verse 19 over the page, he says, send your son David. Well, actually, the thing is, at this point, Saul didn't know David existed. And even at the end of chapter 17, no one knew what David's name was. So, chapter 17, verse 58, they had to ask, whose son are you, young man? And David said, I'm the son of your servant, Jesse of Bethlehem. So you don't even get to know his name until the end of chapter 17. But those insights are brought forward into chapter 16 so you can see the contrast between these two men between Saul and David um, who is filled with God's spirit and let's look at David again what does this man with God's spirit look like well if you look after his fight with Goliath two things stand out one is this was a guy who was massively consumed with God's glory. Now, we look at the details of that next week when we get to the fight. But before uh, we do, let's cheat, go a little bit into the story. Chapter 17, verse 26. And you'll see why David is going for Goliath. Chapter 17, verse 26. You'll see why he's gunning for him. He says, what is this man who, uh, what would be done to this man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should be defying, defying the armies of the living God? 
Who does this guy think he is? Why let him get away with this? The glory of God is to be increased, not to be insulted. And that is why David went off to fight him himself. He was brave and courageous because he was concerned for God's glory. So the glory of God was the one thing that he lived for that mattered to him. And then you can see in verse 18, going back to chapter 16, how he spoke well. Now that doesn't mean he was, he was a posh bloke. Okay? So he just knew how to speak the king's Hebrew or whatever it was better than anybody else. Ah. Now he spoke well because he was a person who spoke to increase people's trust in God. Actually, if you look at that, chapter 17, verse 26, you see he's telling the guys, come on, trust God. This Philistine's got no chance. And then he goes off to fight him to prove it. Okay? So he encourages trust. And in fact, his harp playing in our passage is called a lyre. Most of us haven't heard of a lyre before, but we've heard of a harp. Um, well, his harp playing was not just because David liked to give concerts. His harp playing was because he would love to encourage people with the songs that he sang to the harp. He was a singer-songwriter, and he wrote psalms, which is the songs of the Old Testament part of the Bible. He wrote psalms accompanied by a harp, but to encourage people to trust God. So to give you one example of that, uh, I'm do a quick little uh, flick on to Psalm 57. It's on page 576. Page 576. And Psalm 57 verse 8 says, Awake my soul, awake Harp and lyre, I will away. In other words, okay, let's get the music going. Why? Because, not because he likes to listen to music, but because verses 9 and 10 of Psalm 58, I will praise you, Lord, among the nations. I will make everybody in the nations trust you. I will sing of you among the peoples. For great is your love, reaching to the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches the sky. Hey guys, trust a God like this, would you? Wherever you are in the world. That's what he does when he speaks well. He encourages trust. Now my friends, there is only one other person who is like that in the whole Bible. You might just uh, guess his name if I told you that... He was someone uh, who was said to be filled with the Holy Spirit right from the word go. Uh, so I'm going to read to you Luke chapter 3. Um, I don't want to get you angry by getting you to turn pages all the time, but actually you'll enjoy it if you did, because it's on page 1029, Luke chapter 3, and in um, uh, Luke chapter 3, verse 22, the Holy Spirit descended on Jesus 
in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, You are my son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. And then the Holy Spirit stayed with him all along, because if you look at chapter 4, in other words, Luke chapter 4, just next page really, so not too far to go for that. Luke chapter 4, verse 22, uh, sorry, uh, verse um, um, uh, 18, the Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, sent me to proclaim freedom uh, to prisoners and so on. Jesus is a man filled with the Holy Spirit and all the way through his life, from the very start. And he was someone that people commented on how good his words were, the way he encouraged people. Look at chapter 4, verse 22. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. So he spoke wonderful words that encouraged trust as well. And so here in the town of Bethlehem, in the Old Testament, in 1 Samuel chapter 16, a new king is being introduced to us, who actually isn't known to the one who is king at that time, who later will try and kill the anointed king, in the story. We'll get there. But it is there in Bethlehem that you find the Jesus of the Old Testament who is going to tell us what the Jesus of the New Testament is wonderfully like. And from this moment onwards, the connections between Jesus and David are going to come thick and fast. So 300 years after David was around, 300 years after he'd dead and gone, uh, you get a prophet called uh, Isaiah, and uh, uh, Isaiah, uh, in chapter 11, tells you Jesus is on his way. It happens to be 700 years before Jesus comes. But in chapter 11, verse 1, Isaiah promises, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots a branch will bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding. The spirit of counsel and might. The spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord. And boy is he going to be confused, uh, consumed by the glory of God. Because it says in verse 3. He will delight in the fear of the Lord. This is going to be some David when he turns up on the scene. I'm sorry, uh, Isaiah uh, chapter um, uh, 11 and verses 1, 3 to 4. That's what it says. I've just read it out to you. So David is here to get the drum roll going for Jesus. But right next to him in the chapter, second heading, you get Saul. And what's the first thing you find out about Saul in verse 14 and verse 15 and verse 16? What do you find out? What, 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 what's he like? Evil. Okay. 
If you're colorblind, you can't see that crown is red, but that's meant to be evil. Okay? That's what describes Saul. Now, the thing is, this is the same guy who was once filled with God's Spirit. Remember, I just read to you chapter 11 and uh, verse 6, where he once had God's Spirit filling him. But now, his relationship with God is over. It will never be opened again. And the only remedy available to him is to listen to some calming music. In other words, he's got evil moods. You can distract him from them, but you will never deliver him from them. Now, think that through. I'm not sure what that does to our favorite the saying, once saved, always saved. Really? It didn't work like that with Saul. And let me tell you that David, the one who is close to God, he didn't take that line either. Hey, that happened to Saul, but it never happened to me. Because when David made a pig's ear once of the way he lived his life and made two serious mistakes, one after the other, he committed adultery, then he committed murder. When he writes about that and how broken-hearted he is, you look at some chapter 51 verse 11 it says David's plea to God is please don't take your Holy Spirit from me why? because he was there first hand seeing how that happened with Saul he didn't want it happening to him he didn't take the line hey happened with that, like that with Saul but I'm bulletproof and it wouldn't be great if we took that uh, line either, saying, hey, those two are Old Testament people. We're New Testament people. We are bulletproof. No. Have a look at uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 11. And uh, I'm getting there fast. Uh, the minute I arrive, I will tell you. I have arrived. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 11 is on page 1151. 1151. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 11 we looked at this before I think where there was a long list of things that people uh, privileges that God had given his people in the Old Testament and then taken them away and the conclusion at the at, uh, chapter 10 verse 11 is um, these things happened to them as examples and were written down for us as warnings. Now, if you want to find out why God rejected Saul, you can go to our website and listen to last week in full and get the full version, the full story. But a quick summary is that he thought, he was convinced that he was listening to God, but really, he was listening to what other people were telling him about how to please God. So he was really not listening to God in his glory, he was listening to others. Now ultimately, here was a man who only really wanted to live for himself. Rather than speak to others, he listened to others. Rather than seek God's glory, he just wanted his own. That's Saul in a nutshell. And that's Saul, the man who once had 
God's spirit, but is now filled with an evil spirit. Incidentally, I know question time's coming, and you're going to be saying, whoa, how come God sends evil spirits? Huh? And let me tell you, if you've got a little pad somewhere, just jot down James. James is the brother of Jesus, and he wrote a little letter in the New Testament. In James chapter 1, verse 13, he says, don't go saying that evil comes from God. People bring evil on themselves. But the fact is that God controls everything that happens, and therefore, if evil comes to a person, albeit self-inflicted, You've got to say God's in control of that. And so therefore you have the kind of language that you get in 1 Samuel 16 that God sent. Because this is what Saul invited. And so he is filled with evil. Now here's the thing to notice that is really interesting. That the freshly chosen David is not a threat to Saul but is actually a support to him. So when Saul needs him, David is there to help. Now, we haven't got too much time to dwell on that now because I've got to rush on, but do notice this, that those who are filled with evil hate those who are filled with the Spirit of Jesus, even though they are seeking to actually support them and help them to live. Just helps the headlines in our newspapers, helps us to understand them. That in a world where evil is, is, is rife, it is yet attacking Christians who invariably are there for people to stop them drowning in their own vomit. And yet... How they hate us, even as we try and serve them. Just extraordinary. But you see it 3,000 years ago when David and Saul are together. Let me stop there quickly, summarize so you can ask questions. What happens if you're someone who's new to Christian things and you want to know what's the best thing to take home for you? Maybe the best term is this. Don't go by what you see. The wrong leader always looks impressive. Don't be fooled by the show. It is Jesus who you can't see who will ultimately open up your life to being more glorious than you will ever live it any other way. And our joy as a church is to introduce you to someone who you'll never see yet. He's coming down the track, but you won't see him yet. But he will lead you more than any visible leader will lead you. He will lead you into glory that will last for eternity. So follow and trust him. Why don't you just simply ask him to do that? So that he can uh, bring you into a spirit-filled, God-glorifying life.
What a difference. What happens if you're someone who's uh, knocked around in church circles for a bit? And um, you might wonder uh, why God uh, allows... Um, why God allows two leaders to be there at the same time. I mean, isn't that confusing? What could possibly be achieved by God by having these contradictory leaders in the same ballpark at the same time? Well, it just shows you how God puts always in front the true and the false. And it's really important for us to switch on to that today because ultimately there are two leaders in this story that will draw different people to themselves. David, the true leader, will draw people to himself, even Saul's son, Jonathan, will come to him. But there won't be many. When the book ends, when 1 Samuel finishes, there will only be 600 people with David. Whereas Saul has the whole country staying on his side. Now, we need to understand that that shows us what it's like in God's church, which is the nation of Israel. Whenever you see the nation of Israel, just think church, okay? Nation of Israel is the church of the Old Testament. We call it church of the New Testament, okay? People of God have got those contrasts always in front of them. There are effectively two spirit-filled leaders in chapter 16. And you have got two spirit-filled churches in around today. One spirit will lead the church to show you how glorious the Lord Jesus is and will constantly put the spotlight on his future which is unseen and yet to come. The other spirit-filled church will put the spotlight on what you've got to do and will tell you how life will be present better in the present. And all the spotlights are shining there. Two spiritual churches. Just uh, don't uh, uh, walk into the wrong one. They are very obvious whether the message is about here and now or whether it is about the future. Whether it is about what Jesus has done or whether it's all about what you have got to do to get God on your side. Very different churches. Don't just simply hear a spirit-filled church and go. Check which spirit. Secondly, uh, thirdly rather, if you're a genuine believer and God has given you the spirit to attract you to Jesus, <coughs> what's here for you? Well, you might just like to remember that there was once a man who also had God's spirit. What was the end result with him? <coughs> My friend, be careful not to get cocky that this can't happen to us as well. The mark of a person 
wanting to continue living under God's Spirit is the person who will say, God, I would hate our relationship to end. Who will plead with God like David did in Psalm 51 verse 11, even when they have mucked up, God, please don't take your spirit from me. You have every right to do that, but please don't. Help me instead live flat out for the glory of God and to live flat out to encourage people to trust you, both in the church and outside the church on our estate. We've got to go out and speak well and bring people to trust God. Like David said in Psalm 7, this is the king for the whole world, not just for the likes of you and me. That is the way to cling to the spirit that God has given you by asking him to hold on to you even when you begin to slip. The alternative is ultimately to be more concerned about the glory of yourself, what people think of you, hanging on to the good things of life as much as you can, living for the present. And the chances are that if that was to happen, you won't even notice that the change has taken place. And you'll be convinced that you're still God, the Spirit of God. And actually, the door is open for something very different. It's important for us to take heed and to seek God's protection and His help. Let me stop there, let me pray, and then uh, you can ask and um, uh, tell me what you think. Our Father in Heaven, it is astonishing how this ancient word can be such a living word as you speak through the Bible to tell us about the Lord Jesus and His Spirit-filled people encouraging life that he lived entirely for your glory please save us from counterfeit leaders and please fill us with your spirit that we might be changed to be like him living for your glory and encouraging others to trust you and we pray this in his name Amen.